and publisher of Skeptic Magazine, executive director of the Skeptic Society, a monthly columnist for Scientific American, and the author of The Believing Brain. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Sherman. In a 2004 study using fMRI, functional magnetic resonance imaging, the Emory University psychologist Drew Weston scanned the brains of self-described strong Republicans and strong Democrats during the run-up to the 2004 presidential election. Both sets of subjects were tasked with assessing statements by George W. Bush and John Kerry, in which the candidates clearly contradicted themselves. Not surprisingly, in their assessments of the candidates, Republican subjects were as critical of Kerry as Democratic subjects were of Bush, yet both left their own preferred candidate off the evaluative hook. That's the confirmation bias at work. But what was so revealing in this study is that the part of the brain associated with reasoning, among other things, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, was quiescent during the evaluation process. Instead, the parts of the brain most active were the orbital frontal cortex, which involves the processes of emotions, and the anterior cingulate cortex, the ACC, that is active in conflict resolution. Most tellingly, once subjects had arrived at the conclusion that they gave emotional comfortable, their mental striatum Welcome back to Apostasy Now. So where to start? So much to go through. Let's see. Uh, we'll start with the fact that I forgot to mention our show or completely blanked that Smashlock and I did a guest appearance some time ago already. Go to thegenderbias.com. Um, the program is called the Antisocial Justice Podcast. You'll find it's awesome. Um, Zoe and John have both been on our show. Check it out. Our episode is the latest one, uh, as far as I know, it's called Two Penises. Very good. Very classy. I'd also like to mention that 
my friend Reed Payton is moving to a new job and his money is extremely tight. I mean, he's going through some crazy stuff to uh, make this job happen and provide for his family. He's a good guy. If you'd like to help out or see what he's been doing, go over to Modern Satanism. Uh, it's his podcast. His name's Reed Payton. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes if you have some extra money and you want to help him out. Uh, he's a guy that I think has contributed a lot. And uh, when you contribute to him, he always puts stuff back into the community. Uh, and that brings us to our guest for this episode, uh, Dean Esme. Dean is the editor at uh, A Voice for Men. Now, I know a lot of people are going to find this a high, high voltage topic. We're going to go through a lot of stuff unapologetically. And if you decide to skip this episode or get angry, stop listening to the, the podcast, that's all right. I understand. But we wanted to go through it. I opened up about quite a bit of personal material on it because I don't want to pretend it's not there or that it hasn't motivated me. But my own personal emotions do not direct uh, my views. They don't direct my conduct in this matter. So be warned in advance. Uh, a lot of people are going to find this a really touchy subject or a matter of many subjects brought together, both men and women and the way that we view each other. And the difference between having values, uh, being skeptical, and having an ideology. Again, I understand if people get upset, feel free to give us comments, feel free to storm off in anger, but I hope that you will try and listen through to a different point of view than one that perhaps you have been presented with. I know that my views have changed a great deal in this regard, and it's because I allowed people to push me, to challenge me, and sometimes I push back. It's all a part of what we're doing here. Uh, and if you think this one's tough, uh, our next episode, uh, actually it's going to be split into two because it's so long, it's full of good material, is going to be Micaru from Micaru Media. So look forward to that. But for right now, let's focus on our talk with Dean. He's got a lot of incredible stuff to offer. Welcome to another episode of Apostasy Now. What the hell are you talking about? Who are you talking to? I've tasted other cocos. This is the best. What the hell does this have to do with anything? Tell me what's happening! Well, you're having a nervous breakdown. That's what's happening. Because I'm very much a skeptic. More, I'm, I'm more of a skeptic than I am an atheist. I mean, atheist is a conclusion based on my skepticism. You'll have to come like a little child to the foot of the cross. That attitude is what is responsible for the rise of atheism. <laughs> That's not what Islam is all about. Islam is peace. What is the penalty for leaving the Muslim faith? With a death penalty. Thank you. This is apostasy now. For people to get the information correct before they start yap, yap, yapping. Get ready to root for the bad guys. Because with the evidence, all the evidence... I don't even remember what we wanted to talk, what you wanted to talk to me about, but that's okay. I'll just answer whatever questions <laughs> you have about anything, and no big deal. See, that's you're a good guest already. <laughs> <laughs> but we can start out by just saying that uh, you you just um, put together a bunch of people online there from the from a number of places probably, but Honey Badger Brigade. Well, yeah, that the honey the big the Honey Badger Brigade is blowing up all over the internet and Twitter, and has made it onto some news sources. Um, 
we're thinking it's probably going to go better. Your listeners don't know. Uh, the Honey Badger Brigade, a group of um, female artists, creators, um, who are also critical of the feminist narrative and, and very friendly to men and men's issues, have been thrown out of the Calgary Comics and Entertainment Expo, which is one of Canada's biggest um, expos of that type every year. Uh, and they've been given contradictory and silly reasons as to why they've been objected. So we've been covering that story basically since last night. So it sounds like what it sounds like, though, is that it's a, an issue of censorship. They didn't like the message out that they presented. Uh, well, that's exactly right. Um, it certainly looks like censorship to me um, because every excuse that the expo management comes up with uh, fails to hold water. It just does not hold water. Um, they didn't disrupt anything. They attacked nobody. Um, nobody was hurt. Nobody was even insulted. Um, except apparently by the very presence of these supposedly odious women with opinions not shared by certain feminists. That's the only thing that makes sense. Oh, I was at, uh, now I'm not sure if all the fan expos are run by the same company or not, but I was at the Toronto fan expo last year. And, that, uh, that is run by a different company. We had some confusion because last night we thought that a group called fan expo was running the Calgary expo. It turns out that they're not. Oh, okay. Although there are some people affiliated, it is a different group. And by coincidence, I did just recently find out that the Toronto Fest is not run by the same group. It is not run by the same group. Okay. Uh, we don't know if they'll do this, pull the same thing in Toronto that this group did. But well, know. yeah, we should. I think it's good that they're standing up to this and that people are getting together on it because we don't want this to be something that happens once or twice and then other companies are like, well, if they can get away with it, let's turn this into a, a safety kind of stance that we'll just get rid of these people because no one fights when we do it, and then these other groups won't have anything to complain about. That's exactly right. I mean, that's, in in fact, I'll, I'll just say it, you know, people come after me because I'm very critical of what I call organized feminism. I know there are women and even men running around out there who are like, uh, well, but I'm a feminist because I believe in equality, and, uh, you know, the only thing I can say to you folks who say things like that is you're not aware that, that, that feminists with money and power which, i.e., probably doesn't mean you. Feminists with money and power will do things to hurt people. Yeah, yeah. And this is what we're seeing here, you know. And, if, you know, if you're not speaking out against it, to be blunt, I hate to be so political, but if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem here. If you're a feminist and you aren't speaking out hard against this garbage, then I'm sorry you share some of the guilt for this censorship. You really do. Well, I think this is my take on how this works for, like, the people who are, are neutral on it, who basically are surprised when it comes home to roost, essentially someone they love, um, is that, okay, so society has kind of, we, we develop over time and we've gotten to the point where most people in society, at least in the West, believe in equality. We all, we all basically do. We think that if one person has an opportunity and they're willing to work hard, anyone else should have the same shot, you know, yep. regardless of how they were born or where yep. they were born. In, in Australia, they call it a fair go and it's the same business. Right. Same mentality. So what's happened, I think, is a lot of people have heard the soft sell of what they, of what I call ideological feminism. The soft sell is aimed at most of the people, like you say, that are neutral out there, who basically allow this to continue and to grow because they don't resist it. But once you come face to face or you are brought down under the hammer of ideological feminism, you can never go back to seeing things that way again. No, exactly. We went through, now I've been at this a while, but we went through something, at a voice for men, 
Um, that's where I work um, and do my writing and advocacy work. Um, first off, I got to get it out there. There's a why going out there that the Honey Badger Brigade is uh, affiliated with us, and they're only affiliated with us in the same sense that we know them. Right. We're not the same group. Um, uh, but we're friends with them, and we support what they do, even though they have a different, slightly different take on things than we do. Um, and then I forgot what else. Oh, yes, but A Voice for Men tried having an international conference on men's issues in Detroit last year, and feminist groups came out not just to protest. Protest is fine. Feminist groups came to protest and demand that we be shut down and not allowed to have our event. And we were kicked out of the hotel due to that political pressure, uh, including threats well, this was physical a, harm. This was the Detroit. Uh, uh, yes, we were. We were. We, we, we received. Yes, this is the Detroit uh, conference that a voice for men did last year. And yes, we're known to be critics of feminism too. And organized feminists were harassing us daily until the show began, until the conference began. Yeah. And some were still harassing us throughout it until day three, when they seemed to realize it's just not going to work, and they left. Um, but. This is what they do. We had to move venues. We were forced to move venues on barely a week, maybe 10 days notice. It was, it was horrifying and it didn't, almost didn't happen. And it cost us something like $60,000, $70,000 to move. Wow. Uh, we did a, we wrote, we did a fundraiser to help us, you know, get the emergency funding we need, but it didn't match it. And we lost huge money. And it is thanks to ideological feminists. We got written death threats. We got written threats of property damage. We got written threats that there was going to be hotel employees would be harmed. Um, and even when we moved to a new venue of Veterans of Foreign Wars, a large feminist group wrote to, called and wrote to, and engaged in a campaign to get the Veterans of Foreign Wars ladies auxiliary involved, called and wrote all of those to attempt to get them to throw us out of the VFW because we might have a conference where we're saying something they don't like. Wow. And the press wouldn't pick it up, or the press tended to act as if we were making it up, even though yeah. we gave them the evidence. And the evidence is not particularly, is not really something you can review. Well, there's probably two things going on there. Is First of all, what is an easy sell for the media to the people who might be uh, listening or watching? But also, it, it flies in the face of what they've been taught to expect, that feminists are nice and care about equality, and so that surely they wouldn't be doing these things, especially in organized groups. Yeah, and they do. And there's the thing. Yeah, 80% of the population that self-identifies as feminist, they think, oh, feminists don't have any power. And they think that because it's like saying, well, I'm a feminist and I have no power. But you know what? To use an American example, that's like saying I'm a Republican and I vote Republican and, therefore, and I have no money. Therefore, the Republican Party has no money and no power. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, just like if you were a Tory there in Canada saying, well, I don't have any money. So obviously Tories have no money and power. What? No. <laughs> Organized feminists have a lot of money and power, yeah. my friends, and they use it. You know? I, I know with uh, with Gamergate, this has also been the narrative. It's been very slow getting uh, significant parts of the media to actually stop and pause and realize that death threats online fly against everybody, not just you know, Anita Sarkeesian and other supposed feminists. I say supposed because a lot of people don't even think that she actually believes in feminism. <laughs> I, I have my own wonders about that particular character. I try not to say her name anymore just because what she wants is attention. But yes. Yeah, it's Voldemort. <laughs> Voldemort. Yes, we do. In fact, on my show, Tales from the Infrared, we do frequently refer to her as Voldemort. Oh, yeah? <laughs> just so we do not get her attention or give her attention. Oh, Voldemort. She's off, out with a new video now. Eh, don't watch it. <laughs> are you uh, are you at all familiar with Christopher Hitchens? 
Yes, I am familiar with Christopher Hitchens, and Man. I'm a fan of his at, a, at many levels. Even though I'm not an atheist, it's okay. Uh, I like him. I miss him. Yeah, and he engaged with people all the time. And I, I really wish he had been able to live at least a few more years because I would love to hear him sit down with Anita Sarkeesian in, oh front, of, in front of a crowd with some cameras and, you know, shred her to pieces. <laughs> and he would, too, fearlessly, oh, yeah. fearlessly. Yeah. I, I actually think she's too smart to allow. She'd be too smart to allow herself into a conversation with him in public. Yes, she's. So this is why people don't think that she actually is a believer uh, in the ideology, is because she does control herself like merchant, like a, like a like a product, I should say. The, the whole thing is she's kind of created a persona rather than actually being who she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. think you're right. She wouldn't sit down with a debate. You're right. Yeah. So anyway. What, uh, what are we talking about today other than this stuff? Or is this what we're here to talk about? <laughs> uh, well, I wanted to have you uh, specifically on the show, not just uh, to talk about the issues, but also because I find you interesting in the work that you do. Um, okay. Uh, one of the things that I had asked when, when we first talked about you being on the show, though, was specifically uh, debu- debunking. One of the things that confuses a lot of people in the public is all the statistics that feminists will throw out, all the claims they make. Um What's been your experience with learning about um, the the major flaws that they generally tend to use? Dean, are you there? My apologies. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> yes, I can hear you. Did okay, you hear? Uh, did, interviews did, generally do tend to go better when you unmute yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I muted myself because there was some noise. Anyway, I'm sorry. What was the question again? Now uh, I'm off. Uh, generally uh, speaking, in terms of the statistics and claims that they make that kind of uh, confuse the public. Uh, in your experience, what are the general tactics that they use for that, and, and why are they flawed in your experience? Okay, let's. I'm going to have to uh, dial back and ask you to be more specific in some few ways, but let me, let me answer what I think is the spirit of your or start with an answer. When you, we say there's the work that I do as Dean Esme, and then there's the broader a Voice for Men audience so the question is are you talking to me or are you talking to voice women <laughs> you know what that's, that's, that's a good point anyone uh who's listening to this who's not familiar we should probably state uh, my understanding is a voice for men uh it is uh, a group with uh, goals aims um but you guys have a lot of different people that contribute so they yeah. each have they can have different points of views on different things not everyone lines up on everything Right. It's That's exactly a... correct. And, I, you know, when I make a statement, I, I, I'm actually, at this point, because I'm on the masthead and all that, I've got to make clear when I answer questions. Am I answering for a voice for men or am I asking, answering for Dean? So <laughs> uh, it, it's the right thing. But, you know, that said, there's, as management at AVFM, I can tell you about that, too. So <sighs> so you want to know what my Dean Esme's yes, opinion yes. is? Yeah. Uh, and what Dean Esme's experience is with... And again, be patient. Ask me the question one more time. Uh, the 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 statistics or the claims that feminists make um, that confuse the public and what's Oh, like... good Christ! Yeah, all right. <laughs> Just feminist a small question. <laughs> feminist statistics, which in my view should just be like viewed like Scientologist statistics or astronomers or, or I'm sorry astrologer statistics. It's it's almost invariably when you see feminists issuing a statistic you should immediately ask yourself where are they getting it and you should never accept it if they just give you a link to some random domestic violence group or rape support group um, because a lot of those people a lot of those are those groups are uh, what's the word 
are networked with each other. And like one group will put up, well, one in five women are raped. And then a second group will use them as their source. Yeah. And then a third group will use them both as a source. This is an online phenomenon that drives me insane. Yes. Um, you see it in the news reporting and you see it even among, uh, among organized groups. Um, and they're not always transparent about the way they're doing things. Right. So if we're going to take a specific statistic, uh, my favorite statistic to bring up is what I have taken, and I take credit for this, I have taken to calling the zombie statistic, and more people are, are starting to adopt it. The, the wage gap. Yep. The wage gap um, in the United States, women supposedly earn 77 cents on the dollar that men do. Um uh, and I call that the zombie statistic because that statistic has been debunked hundreds of times, and it's been debunked hundreds of times by neutral academic researchers who have no axe to grind, real economists, and that has been true for decades. Yeah. Not only is there not a wage gap now, there wasn't one 20 years ago. There wasn't one 30 years ago. In fact, this will really freak people out, but if you really get into it, um, multiple researchers have looked at it, and even before it was the law, even before legislation was passed to force employers to supposedly pay women the same as men because women were supposedly being exploited and underpaid, um, data analysis have been collecting, showing that even before it was passed into law, when you accounted for women and men's various life choices, um, the wage gap disappeared, and in fact, as far back as about 1960, and even the 1950s, women who never married or had children typically out-earned their male companions. Wow. Once you adjusted for hours put in, qualifications, etc. On average, when you made everything else equal, women, single women tended to slightly out-earn men. And now in a number of fields in the U.S., women tend to out-earn men. This is especially true in the U.S. and I believe Canada. Um, in the 18 to 30 range, women are now increasingly out-earning men. Um, and these statistics get passed around by political groups with an agenda to play. And it's almost invariably feminist groups and feminist sympathizers. Big groups with lots of money, like the uh, you've got a group up there in Canada called LEAF, which is a women's legal aid thing. You've got the National Organization for Women. Uh, these are multi-million dollar organizations um, with a lot of money at stake to sell a narrative and yes uh and and their statements will be accepted uncritically by much of the press and the people who call them into question frequently aren't well what Even, is what is generally done is where anyone who who resists or counters is written off in the sense of being a conservative you know far right oh you just hate women that is another thing they get away with. Now, there's, there's, there's I don't dislike conservatives. or far, I've even got some people with some pretty conservative views who are friends. But I've got liberal people and lefty people and even anarchist yeah. people who are friends. Yep. In fact, I've always said, if you don't have friends who disagree with you politically, there may just be something wrong <laughs> with you. That's right. <laughs> um, Absolutely. But yes, one of the tricks has been to say, well, you know, you're questioning the wage gap because you're far right wing and you just want women to be oppressed, which is a total logical fallacy. It's just total nonsense. Um, and one of the things I've also noticed now, yes, I am a men's rights advocate. I don't, I don't apologize for it. It's the work I do. 
Um, one day we'll have to discuss why is it that talking about the human rights of men and boys is such a horrible thing to do. But um, in any case, uh, I forgot where I was. <laughs> There's just so much to go into here. Um, well, there is. Oh, one of the things I've seen is that others who are critical of the dominant feminist perspective on any given issue, but especially in issues like what we're seeing up in Calgary this weekend, anybody who questions the feminist narrative is automatically tagged as an MRA, which is interesting because that gets you like a twofer, right? Oh, dirty, bigoted, violent, MRA, crazy person. Okay, A, I get to insult you by slapping that label on you, and B, I get to insult all MRAs by using the label that way. Yep. It's very clever relational aggression it, stuff. It, it's, a, it's a lot like... Um... Uh, say a certain period of history, they're like, "Oh, you're a Jew," <laughs> or certain periods yeah. when it was like, "Oh, you're a what was the phrase that uh, you're a nigger lover." It's a, an association yeah. to something that is uh, a narrative has constructed societies yep. is expected to accept, and if they slap you with that label, they can you know, try and silence you. And for, I'll, I'll throw it the other way because it's not just you know people on the left there. I mean, go back to McCarthyism. Uh, that was far right-wing advocacy. I swear, you know, and, and everybody was a communist, right? And now, personally, I don't like communism. I really don't like communism. Yeah. Uh, in fact, speaking as being, I really dislike communism a lot. lot, 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 lot. <laughs> I'm not um, a big, I'm not a big fan uh, myself. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, that McCarthy era in the United States, there were some real problems there. And and these days, especially again, when I see what's going on. I think, yeah, well, the next thing that the feminists are going to do is say, are you now or have you ever been a critic of feminism? Because if you yeah. are, then we can get rid of you. Well, isn't Sweden, you know, try, Sweden try to make it illegal, right, to, to speak out against feminism? Yes, there are, in fact, active ongoing efforts in parts of Europe, including Sweden, to do that very thing. This is totally insane. So you are a feminist or you are evil. You will join. And if you are cresting them, hell, they, these folks that, again, we're talking about people in gender studies departments, hanging out online, we're talking about professors, we're talking about people at multi-million dollar foundations, yeah. all well, want to shut down any dissent. And it's like they're terrified of dissent. They will even take women who self-identify as feminists, like Wendy McElroy and Christina Hoff Summers, and say, well, they're lying, they're not real feminists. Yeah. Well, and I, ladies, if you're feminist and you're listening to this and you're getting mad, go ahead, try disagreeing with some of those feminists and watch what they do to you, even yeah. if you claim to be a feminist. There is uh, an online personality that I sometimes see in the groups that I circulate with named uh, Ellen Beth Watkins, I believe is her name. Walks, maybe? Ellen Beth Walks, yeah. Yes, and she, at first when the rift happened in atheism with the uh, upsurgence of uh, ideologues, she was originally on the side of a lot of them, but when she questioned on some minor points, as I understand it, they drummed her viciously out of their circles, and now she's an outspoken person against that way of thinking. Not that she still disagrees on all points with them, but just that the ideological side, once it takes over, it's like an animal. It's groupthink. Yeah, it really is. It's it, it's tribalism. It's uh, It's partisanship of the worst kind, not the best kind, because I don't think partisanship is necessarily a bad thing you know if you stand for something and there's others who stand with you right. that's that's that is well, a form of partisanship but when you put it above yeah just being honest yep. and allowing other perspectives to even be discussed you're not just a partisan anymore you're a naked intolerant partisan well now you're sounding like a skeptic 
<laughs> well, I am a skeptic by nature. I'm maybe one of those crazy theists running around, but I still always want to hear a piece of information. Even if it's a piece of information I don't particularly want to hear because it's inconvenient for me and my worldview, yeah. I want to know the truth first and foremost. Yep. You know, and if I'm wrong and you can show me that I'm wrong, I want to be able to say I was wrong. Because that whole inability to say, you know what, I was just wrong, that's kind of a sickness. And a lot of people <laughs> seem to have it. You can't just say sometimes, you know what, I was wrong. You're right. Well, first off, it's, it's important to understand we are, uh, while it is, Paul, well, Paul is the publisher, so I guess you could say that that view represents us. Um, we publish people from a wide variety of perspective, and Paul himself has many times pressed the publish button on articles he did not agree with. Furthermore, people who gave him pushback on that article, he let them have their say, and he even invited people to debate him on his front pages about it. Anybody who wants to, that's actually still a standing offer. Um, I, I need one guy, I can't remember, it was about a year ago. I'm sorry, Dean, yep. I need to interrupt, interrupt you right there because I honestly, this right now, what you just said, is is the reason why I have respected you guys while I probably haven't agreed with everything, uh, the, the cited example being one, I feel like I have not seen this in any of your so-called opposition. <laughs> If you can't do that, there's something wrong with you. I mean, it's hard, right? You got to swallow your pride a little, but. But when, <laughs> it, when it comes to uh, since you touched on communism, um, tell, you can tell me what uh, you think about this. The way I try to use an example to explain to people about the difference between ideology and having a certain point of view that goes with a term. You know what I mean? The difference between labels and actually is is the point where it becomes part of your identity to be part of the group think. So in Canada, we have uh, public education. We have actually public health care. Uh, I support those types of initiatives. Those are socialist initiatives, but yeah. I am not a socialist. <laughs> uh, th those are, I will, I will agree with it if it specifically, in my opinion, fits the need of that specific issue. I do not see it as something I must advocate for in all walks of life. It's not a part of who I am or my worldview. And you know what? I've run into that one too. I've actually been called a socialist by, <laughs> I'll just be blunt, some somewhat deranged right wingers, because there are deranged right wingers. Um, mostly American, I'm sorry to say. And I've been accused of the same by deranged left wingers. You know, or yep. accused of, you know, all sorts of crazy, my hidden agenda. You know, the, the right wingers are sure that I'm, I'm sneaking socialism and collectivism and identity politics and all that crap. And over on the left, there he's a reactionary right winger. I get it all the time, you know. And it's tiring. It's like, can you people not come out of your little tribalist bubble and discuss the ideas? Yeah. Discuss the data and discuss the ideas. You don't have to like me. You don't Let's, have to like anything I stand for. You ready to talk ideas, or aren't you? Let's present a little evidence with the uh, the assertions. Uh, it's amazing to me that some people they'll just go from a wild assertion to wild assertion, uh, often repeating things they've heard. And they never stop to offer any reason why anyone should listen to what they're saying. And then they're stunned when people don't believe them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think what I observe what's going on, it's not just feminists. It is the whole social justice concept in general is problematic. 
I, I noticed this does seem to be a particular problem on the left at the moment. I'll pick up yeah. on conservative friends at the mo- uh, another day. Yeah, um, but um, <laughs> I noticed the same thing, Dean. I've noticed. Yeah, that. yeah, it's like uh, we stand for this, and if you don't stand for that, you're evil. You're <sighs> yeah. It, it it gets old because I'm really convinced that 80, 70 percent of the population. Uh, all right, maybe I'm being generous. Sixty, uh, the majority. <laughs> All right, 50, 40, 30, do I hear 10? No, I'm convinced that the majority somewhere of the population just looks at this hyper-ideological crap, whether it's from the left or the right, and said, you people just disgust me. Um, and, oh, of course, they might be saying that of me, but if you really talk and look, I don't know. I think most of what what I believe in and what is, is pretty close to what most people believe, really. There so, are a few things that are just like they're not ready for it, but I usually find yeah. even on stuff that they're not ready for, if they'll listen, they'll often at least go, "Well, you have a point." Right. Yeah. I, I, it's exactly my experience is that you know, you're 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 poking a hole in this uh, larger arrangement that they've been uh, made to believe all connects, and you're like, "Oh, look, it doesn't connect over here. Let's start at this point in the conversation," and they can some of them freak out. Yeah, um, I know. One of the things that uh, I was listening to yes- yesterday, I was cleaning my room for like 12 hours. I live in one room, by the way, on a related note, because I can't afford rent because of family courts. <laughs> so my parents have taken me in or oh, I would be homeless. <laughs> that is that is not any kind of human rights issue. You pay your child support or go to jail, pal. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's amazing <laughs> because there's people in the system up here who don't like it. People who have to run it. They know it's wrong. Uh, I guess this is a little tangent now, uh, but uh, Family Responsibilities Office, I spoke to them recently. There, It was 2012. I made about, the most I've ever made is about $65,000 that year. Now, as a truck driver, that meant I was on the road for two or three weeks at a time, and I was half, you know, insane without sleep. I was, like, working a lot. Um, but then the separation happened. And until the end of last month, I was still being billed as if I made that much money. So that's mm-hmm. two and a half years later. And um, so anyways, they they dropped it down, but they, they assigned me a higher amount of money than I make now with my new job, a lot more. And so now uh, I talk to Fro, they're, they're, they've already started taking money out of my checks. And I'm like, you know, uh, I'm just letting you know, if you keep taking as much money as the court has told you, if you take that much each month, I can't afford to be a truck driver. I literally won't be able to go on the road um, because I won't have enough money for anything. And she goes, you know, I hear that all the time. <laughs> uh, yeah like not but not to be like mean she just meant it like she was we were being friendly she meant like uh, you know my heart goes out to you i hear this all the time so here was a person inside the system she said um that there's a chart that they use i was i'm familiar with it and that this often happens that the chart is circumvented by judges doing this where they're like we're going to assign you a higher income than you actually have and therefore we'll use this amount on the chart but if you make a lot of money they never do that to drop your amount so this is how the chart becomes useless. Now you, this is in the Canadian family court, yes. right? Yes. Yes. You see the same thing in America, uh, in many states. Uh, you know, our, our system is more federalized than yours, so it can vary by states. But I mean, in a whole lot of states, the uh, the courts will do something called imp- imputed income, yes. which basically means the judge has decided that you are faking and you are capable of making more. You're just choosing not to. Yep. And that is, uh, that is, there, there's multiple problems with that approach. And by the way, I'm not one of the guys who has that problem. Although I have, uh, you know, I had a period that was, uh, very rough 
with my ex, you know, around the time of the divorce. But that's pretty common. That's pretty typical. I actually get along fantastically with my ex, which is, uh, uh, and she in fact supports what I do. Has even written oh. books, one of the articles on A Voice for Men. You're fortunate then. Wow. I am fortunate. Not only am I fortunate, but she eventually realized, you know what, this whole family court thing is bullshit. And we went in together and signed paperwork to tell the courts, go away and get out of our lives. Um, so in point of fact, while I still pay money to support my children and still and in fact see them every day, the courts don't touch our private life. Anything yeah. financial or otherwise is between me and my ex. And that's it's a beautiful thing. I really am grateful that I have that kind of woman as, a, as the mother of my children. I think what we could use a lot of, especially where I am, because it sounds like Canada is like the worst place on earth for family court craziness. <laughs> it's it's pretty bad up there, dude. It really is. Um uh, we could use a lot more expose. Like we could have, I wish we had more news, you know, and documentary programs just showing straight up what happens so that people at home could just tune in and see and get a little bit of a feel for what it'd be like if they ended up there. You know, one of the things I routinely find, and this isn't, this doesn't, here's one of the other tricks certain types of feminists are, are, are prone to do. They'll claim all you do is attack feminism. No nonsense. I merely point out that on something like this, feminists are suspiciously absent when they're the people who claim to be about equality. Right. Yep. But in any case, I, I, I generally find this is not just feminists who do this. Um, we just kind of socially tend to assume guys do this, women do this, apolitical people tend to do this. Um, it's not just feminists. We just we'll just hear the stories of what happens and say, you know, he's got to be exaggerating. Yeah. And you're not. I know for a fact you're not because I work on multiple cases and I have worked multiple cases. You're not exaggerating. I know exactly what's happening to you for the most part. And I've never gotten any read details from you because I don't need to. I can kind of tell what the hell is going on. As soon as the family court has its 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 jaws into you, the dirty little secret. This is true in the U.S. and Canada. The secret is that court gets a chunk of that fun funding that they take out of your paycheck. Okay, so they fund their operations in part by doing this to you. That's insane. I did not know that. Yes. Wow. So this is a new piece of the puzzle you probably didn't know. It's very much true in the United States. In fact, in the United States, I can absolutely tell you um, in many jurisdictions, including my own, the family courts operated a profit for the judiciary. That's insane. That That's the type of thing that a judge should recuse themselves over, not establish a principle of operation on that. That's correct. Uh, in, in, in some defense of, of, of those family court judges, this is the law as they've been given it, you know, and so sometimes at least, in fact, I know for a fact, I can't give you names, but I got friends, we have friends, we know people who work full time in the court system, including judges who will privately tell you this is a bunch of horrible bullshit and it embarrasses me. Yeah. Um, but they can't say it publicly and keep their jobs. That's yeah, and that's the pressure. And, yeah, yeah, right. and, and and I suppose part of it you could be say, well, have honor and resign anyway. <laughs> but will that accomplish the goal of reform? No. no, at least this way they're trying to keep other people informed on the down low and maybe curve decisions as much as possible into a reasonable direction from the bench. Exactly. Now, exactly. I I will say for myself, like I say, there are people in the system that know it's no good. Um. The two officers that uh, showed up when I made the call when I was being assaulted, well, just after I was assaulted by my ex-wife, the two female officers that showed up, because as soon as I saw it was two female officers, my head went, 
in my head I went, I'm going to jail. <laughs> you know, I, I, with, without even you finishing the story, I'm actually going to take a bet that they surprised you a bit. They did. Uh, they actually they spoke to each of us in a different room. And my ex, she's got, uh, we'll just say, I believe she has undiagnosed mental health problems. And I have good reason for suspecting this. Mm-hmm. Um, they were so frightened by her behavior in the other room that they actually told me off the record, you should press charges. And I refused because I was programmed with that response of, no, no, I can't send her to jail. She's my wife, right? Mm, uh, she doesn't have that. <laughs> she probably doesn't have that. No, no, she does not. Um, and the next thing they tried when they realized that I wasn't going to do that is they said, will you at least take your daughter with you out of here uh, while we're here? And I, this was, for me, the moment when I realized that nothing was going to get better. I still didn't do it, which, again, that's the programming. Um, but that was the moment for me where I was like, this is, this is never going to get better. It's only ever going to get worse if I'm being told this. Did you uh, ever voluntarily leave your home? I did that night later on after the police left because yeah. uh, it was starting up again. And I knew where it was going. One of the more interesting traps that men will find themselves on, and again, I'm sure your listeners are going, how does he know all this? They talk in advance. No, he didn't. One of the more interesting <laughs> things is it goes along, goes on. This is common in Canada, common in the United States, but it's very common in Canada. The police will look at you and say, sir, somebody really should leave. Yes, yes. To calm this and- situation down. And they will look at you, and they won't tell you to leave. They will just observe somebody should leave, because they know that psychologically, nine times out of ten, the guy will say, fine, I'll leave. And that, it's, you know, it's too late in your case, but that is frequently a deadly mistake legally. Um, moving Because now you've voluntarily left the home. Moving beyond just the, the, the property and stuff, like the value of what you own, because uh, I, I was pretty much poor at that point. She, she was spending our money. I wasn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but on custody issues, this is critical. If you leave the home, she initially gets custody of the children automatically. And the, the yep. bullshit reason they give that makes no sense is it could be detrimental to move the child. Like that has, in my opinion, it has nothing to do. Like children move all the time. And it's not, you know, may not be pleasant for them at the time, but they survive and they thrive. Uh, you, uh, I'll, I'll give you a free tip. Um, and this tip works in the United States as well as Canada. So if you're a divorcing father, uh, listen up on this. Um, a, yes, it is almost always a mistake to leave. Unless you truly believe your life is in danger, it is usually best to see if you can get her to leave. Yeah. Because whoever stays has a leg up, and whoever leaves is automatically at a disadvantage, and that can turn into a permanent disadvantage, as Mr. Dragonbeard here just said. <laughs> um, it, it can turn into a disadvantage that runs for years because one evening, you, sweating, said, well, the cops will look at me and say somebody probably ought to leave. All right, I'll do the good thing and I'll leave. No, don't. I have yeah. one guy I know who did the right thing. I don't know. One guy who did the right thing is he just stand, stood there and said, yes, you're right. Somebody should leave. Yeah. And looked and, at his ex and didn't move. And, this and they kept saying it to him. <laughs> well, really, somebody should leave. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Somebody should leave. This is not a good situation. And then just sat there. Eventually, yeah. she left. Well, she, And in my case, it was worse in the sense that she would have left with handcuffs on if I had just said to the officers, you know, instead of getting emotional charges. about it, I had just said reasonably like, I realize yeah, guys, you can you guys you can press charges later or change your mind later. Get her to the jailhouse. It starts that way. Yeah. She can calm down there. And this whole process would have been better for my daughter because she would have had immediate uh, pressure on her to explain her behavior, get some help. Uh the court would have taken notice of that right away. The whole thing would have been different. But courts, courts, feminist groups and others, but especially feminist groups have been working very hard for decades 
to deny the very existence of something called parental alienation or recognize parental alienation as abuse, even though it is child abuse. Um, and that's probably going to change at some point. So when the courts are looking at something like this, uh, they're still working under a decades-old presumption that the worst thing for the child would be to take them out of their home. And, and again, this is a tip. This is important information. More guys should know. If you do leave, if you're forced to leave or you made a mistake and you left, um, one of the things most courts look at very strongly is where is the child going to school? And if the move would cause them to change schools, yeah. that will be too traumatic on them. Now, there's something to that. That's not completely without valid, without having any validity. That has some validity. Moving schools is very traumatic for kids. Um, the solution to that one, if you possibly can, and this can give you a leg up in custody disputes, is wherever you do go, make sure it's in the same school district and make sure the kids know it, or that the, the courts know that you actually live in the same school district. So anything, and that's hard, right? Because yeah. a lot of guys will say, there's no way for me to do that. Uh, but some of you guys, yeah, there is. You just have to find out a way to do it. Because if you're in the same school district, the court tends to like, well, that objection is now gone. And it's yeah. a big objection. The child will have to change schools. You can arrange things so that they don't, you'll fare better. The other people I've had in the system that uh, I have found, uh, in particular in the system I found, there's a social worker the court, the court pulled in, asked, uh, we have an office of the children's lawyer, and they'll either send in a social worker to do an investigation of the family life, uh, or they will send a lawyer to represent the child, which I still wish they had also done that. <laughs> Cause... Well, that, that's called a guardian ad litem. Here in the U.S., I'm going to guess it's called the same thing in Canada. Um, be real careful with that. It might have been better if they had gone with your guardian ad litem, but it might not have been. Because I can also tell you that what you will run into with guardians ad litem is that, uh, uh, well, two things happen. Uh, first off, the, the, the guardian ad litem becomes your child's lawyer, not yours. Great. Yep. And if the guardian ad litem decides they don't like you, well, this this is the reason. Or, we, well, and we, more, more to the point, let me finish. I know oh, you're interrupting. Yeah. You probably, as the father, are going to have to pay for that guardian ad litem. So you will be ordered by the court to pay for a lawyer that you didn't pick and who doesn't have to listen to you. Oh. And the guardian ad litem relationship terminates when the child turns 18 or when the child reaches majority or when the guardian ad litem says, I'm done. Which means that, and I've known guys in this situation wind up paying a guardian ad litem for 10 years or more because the guardian ad litem will not give up on the child. I know one man, I kid you not, his kid was assigned a guardian ad litem, uh, which he's paying for. Subsequently, mom who had severe uh, emotional health and drug addiction issues lost custody because eventually Child Protective Services found that she was abusing the child. Uh. Um, the courts stripped her of her parental rights. Um, the child who was at this point 16, uh, was living full time with her dad and he was still paying the, ad, he still paid the guardian ad litem until age 18 because the guardian ad litem would not agree that he was no longer needed, even though neither he nor the daughter wanted the guardian ad litem and the court had already ordered only supervised visitation with wow. the abusive mother. But he was still being driven into poor house, paying for the guardian ad litem. So they are not a magic solution. They can do good things, but don't just assume, oh, I should have done that. Uh, it might not have gone so well. Well, yeah. Well, my my particular lawyer used to be a court judge. 
Uh, so mm. some of the stuff that he tells me I have, I have confidence in. I you know, might be wrong, <laughs> but uh, his opinion was that th- these lawyers are paid for by the state, by the province, um, where I am. That's what his opinion was. He might be wrong about that. And if he is wrong, I'm glad they didn't do it. <laughs> Cause, well, and even then, if the province sells it, fine. Just remember, if the province pays for it, that's awesome. But even then, you still want to weigh the fact that they stop get paying, getting paid, when they yeah. stop being guardian ad litem. Yeah. And in, so they have an incentive to stay as guardian ad litem. Uh, in, uh, in, in what I was saying, though, is um, the social worker they did send in is one of those people that was really helpful because because of her experience, she was not ideological. She you know, collected the information and presented a 38-page report outlining the destructive behavior of my red flags about my ex all throughout it, including, like you're talking about parental alienation attempts, Mm-hmm. Um, and other types of behavior that hurts my daughter. Um, and she officially recommended at the end of the report um, that my ex have a psychological evaluation to make sure she wasn't dangerous. So this lady saw right through it. Um, and we've also had, now this is another thing, we've had two judges that were good for different, because they rotate them randomly to the different needs that we have when we come there. And the two awesome judges we've had were both female. <laughs> they, it I, is. It goes back to something I've seen before, and, and this is why feminism alone is not the issue. There are. All, it is frequently the case that female judges and female cops, I'm just going to say, are smarter about it about yeah. this issue. I'm not saying female cops and female judges are superior overall, but in this, yeah, uh, they frequently are. If they're non ideological, you know, if they're ideological feminists, it's and you're fucked. Yes, yeah. you probably are. <laughs> but otherwise. I, I use a line that Aaron Pitsy, who I believe you've interviewed before. Yes, Aaron she was on the show. She's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do my regular radio show with her. In case your listeners don't know, and she's an she's one of the four world's experts on domestic violence and and and, and related issues. And um, I mean, she really is one of the world's experts. Yeah. Um, no, no ifs or buts. No. Uh, what am I trying to say? I, it's not because I said so. You can look her up. Anyway, one of her favorite, one of the best lines she ever said to me, and she said it before, is women know how women are. Yeah, they see through the shit. They, they're like, oh, yeah, that's the story? Uh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, women know who, how <laughs> women are. And it's okay because they don't go, oh, eternalized inside. Bullshit, she's lying. I can tell. I can tell by the way. Bro. Yep. And women can do, women do. Men are either afraid to or literally can't see it until it's too late. And you know the stories, but that's what I get. Man, what I'm getting from men now is, is thank you so much for somebody at least standing up. Yes. And one of the things that, you know, I guess one of the things that bothers me is I am a woman, and, and that's fine, and I think whoever needs to stand up should, but it would be great to see more men be able to stand up, but I, I think at the same time um, they get shouted down a lot more than a woman. What, what is your opinion on that? If I, if I could inject, I, I, I find that men are easily shamed. That seems to be a power. Women like uh, can shame men, and men take it to heart very quickly. We're used to thinking of men as uh, insensitive and thoughtless, and when in fact they're very emotional creatures, and they're very easy to shame into silence. And I think some of the more hateful feminists, it's special, know this instinctively or not, but we are seeing a lot more men willing to stand up, and I think the more of us who do stand up, as you're doing, the more men will stand up. I mean, uh, Aaron's raising a concern about all these single mothers, and mm-hmm. I don't know what your opinion is, but I, I, I think it's pretty obviously overwhelming that uh, 
Sing, uh, children of single mothers, while many of them do fine, the outcomes are enormously negative when you look at the whole social spectrum. I don't know if you would agree with that. Well, what we're seeing now, I mean, I'm not, in theory, I'm not really against single moms, but the problem is that what we see is when you see this, the studies where you see that 40% of women are breadwinners, I was on Lou Dobbs' show the other night, and one of the things he said, you know, he's on Fox News, and it's like he pointed out, these are not breadwinners. These are, a majority of these women are single mothers. I think it was something like, you know, of those 40%, a large majority of them were single moms making something between seventeen and $23,000, and a lot of those women are taking money and using the government as their da- their husband. And I think that's that's where the problem is coming in is that all you know we're all subsidizing that, and at the same time we're not allowed to judge that at all. People almost put single moms on a pedestal in our society, and and I don't know maybe Erin can speak to this in in England, um, but yes, I, I can. Think that people... Sorry, one of our problems in England is that the state really has taken over the role of the father, and uh, and single parent mothers. Essentially, most of the people I deal with have come from violent households, violent childhoods. They have no idea how to make a relationship. They have no model. And all they know is violence and, and doing what they want to do. And they're taking no responsibility. This happens to both men and women. So the problem is, these numbers of children are growing up, children of violent families, and they're dangerous because they haven't been socialized. And I've been a single parent mother, and I know how incredibly difficult it is to, to bring up girls and boys without a father's safe arms. I think it's a bit of conditioning in there as well, because we we do have by nature a, 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 we want to be noble and we want to protect women. Uh-huh. That's, that's our nature. But then on top of that, uh, each generation is a little different, and the generation that are judges right now, the men, they're the types that want to go and open the door for the lady. Right? It's like you know. I understand that instinct, but you can't do that from the bench. Like you have to be dispassionate and doubt what's being presented. And from the very beginning, when I would go uh, you know, with my statements and be in court, I would say, you know, I'm telling you all this stuff about the, the crazy behavior that happened in our house, but I don't expect you to believe me. And that's why I was asking for the social worker. I'm like, bring in another person who's objective. And then you decide based on what they tell you. Because I knew, it's like, there's no way you're going to look at this woman and speak to her and think that the situation's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. How's it going for you these days? Are you still seeing your daughter? Or? Uh, yeah, she apparently, according to her, brags to her friends when she's going to see me on the weekend. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, she loves it here. Oh, um, well, that's actually good. It's good to know that your relationship with your daughter is still intact. Oh, yeah. I, I I know I sound like a scold, but I still hope you do your best not to badmouth mom because oh, alienation yeah. alienation goes both ways. And... I make sure that I do not do that. I don't allow anyone else to do it around her. Um, uh, my goal, despite the fact that I I don't believe it'll ever be in me to forgive, and that's understanding that mental illness is not something we choose. But there'll be a part of me that can never forgive the way I was treated. Just the same, my goal for my daughter is that I hope that my ex gets help. Because I would like my daughter to have a good relationship with her mother. She's only going to have one biological mother. Uh, and it would be self, it'd be selfish of me and destructive as a parent for me to try to uh, cut those ties. That's right. One of the things you'll find is that anybody, anybody going through this, you'll usually find as long as you're able to keep regular communication with the child. And I know some guys can't, and I, I'm really sorry for that. 
But if you are able to keep your lines of communication open with your child, move heaven and earth to do that. Um, and not badmouth your ex, not try to gain their sympathy, the kids' sympathy, um, but just be yourself, be a dad, um, do the dad thing. And even if the kid asks you, say, well, you know, why don't we not worry about that? Why don't we not worry about mom? I don't know why mom did that. I don't know why mom said that. Um, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I wish she'd hadn't. And that, that's all, you know, but we love her and she's good and she's your mom and I hope you love her too. And then down the line, as long as you're keeping that, eventually you're probably going to hear, you know, mom was kind of crazy, wasn't she? Because kids aren't stupid. No, they're perceptive. Uh, especially past a certain age, as long as dad is there and dad does not allow himself to be ejected. Now, sometimes you have no choice, but there's real hope. I've seen guys, it's like, I found a way to stay by. I mean, and it may be hard. You know, your best yeah. your best solution is to find an apartment next door to them. <laughs> <laughs> that's not always a realistic choice, but it's an yeah. you know, option. But if you can, that's the sort of thing you need to do. Um, call them every day. Arrange it so that you're allowed to call them every day. And even the kid tells you, I don't want to hear from you. And say, well, that's all right. I want you to know I love you anyway. Those yeah. are the little things that keep the kid and the kid remembers years later dad wouldn't go away he just wouldn't go away well, and i resented him for it but now i'm really glad he didn't but what we're talking um, about uh in my situation what we're kind of going on about is is in comparison to one like yours there are plenty of of men and women out there who can put their own shit aside generally speaking and try to focus on what's best for their kid um yeah. what, what we're obviously going on about is when either someone has a really bad attitude which can also be a real problem uh, or when there's something wrong with the person, uh, and I'm sure there are men who have something wrong with them too, and Absolutely. they're just completely nuts. In fact, there are some men who should not be allowed to be near their children because they're just that nuts. But I would venture to guess that the vast majority of them are going to wind up in prison because they're just that dangerous. Um, <laughs> the whole notion that he's see, but here's the thing: you're right. Most people can do it, but the way the whole system is structured, and lawyers will do this too, is to encourage. Yeah, that's as true. Much. Yeah, as courage as much strife as you can, because you can sit there and say, I'm trying to reduce your strife, but you can know as a lawyer, yeah, but I can do X, Y, and Z, and I will get more money because the case will drag on. Yeah. Um, so you've got to be real careful. You really do. And read as much as you can about what could potentially happen to you so you can cut that shit off. I know uh, I know. when I when tried going around looking for help from people, different parts of the government or organizations that are... Oh, like you didn't get any nonprofits. No, what they say is how much. First thing they say, how much do you make a year? Um, it's like, okay, well, this is the problem. I was going to them because I'm like, I can't pay the amount they're taking from me, and they're like, well, I have to ask, what's your gross amount? So I tell them, they're like, well, you don't qualify. So what we can tell you is, here's a list of lawyers that that uh, website will give you a list of lawyers near where you live. I'm like, huh, gee, this has been the most completely unhelpful system that I can imagine. You know, you will, and you will probably find because this is true. There are going to be counseling services and support services and legal aid services that are available to women that are not available to you. Absolutely. Yeah. And then people will turn out and laugh and say, "Well, but I, I, I care about men and their rights, and this is a travesty." And they say, "You don't have any issues as a man." Well, this is. One of several areas, it's not the only one, but it's one of the several areas where there's just tons of services and free stuff available to women that men can't take advantage of. Even when I was divorcing and just dealing with emotional difficulties of the divorce, I couldn't find a counselor or a support group that would just let me talk. Um, I, you know, I asked people and they couldn't give me anything. 
I called one group, um, which was a support group for, for single parents, they said, but they said single parents and they said single mothers. They said both words, and when I called them to see if they, you know, I could come to a group meeting because I'm having a difficult relationship, they're like, we don't have any services for me. I was basically told not to come. I wasn't welcome. And, you know, there's not much out there for me. And, but apparently it's crazy for us to go out there and say, hey, this is wrong. Something needs to happen. Instead, all that money goes to feminist groups for the most part. Yeah, one of the things that surprises actually a number of Americans I've talked to uh, that I know online is when I tell them, that feminist groups get millions of dollars in funding, either as nonprofit uh, tax deductible organizations or they through do. funding from the government. I know in Canada they get millions of dollars from the government. Many millions of dollars, depending, because and, and it's 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 hard because it's spread out over a bunch of places, right? Of rape crisis centers, of domestic violence centers. You think, well, who the hell would object to the existence of a rape crisis center? Or a battered woman's shelter. Well, you object because they are frequently sheltering abusive and dishonest people. Right. And if you're not giving equal consideration to the males, or at least some equivalent consideration to males that isn't just sort of a slap on afterthought, you're only, you know, there's an old saying, and I, and I like this saying, this is like, let's say you take a problem like domestic violence, which is a serious issue. You only help women. That is very much like, um, you know, a house being on fire and you decide you're going to put out the fire in half the house. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's, it's like, great, you're putting water on the fire. That's <laughs> really good. But half the building is still on fire. No, it's good, man. We are throwing in this, this water and we are stopping this half of the fire. It causes as many problems as it solves because you're not treating people as human beings who need help. And this is the the thing I try to emphasize, too, is that talking about two sides, you know, when we talk about men's rights, uh, women's rights, I identify as first and foremost in life. I'm very careful about what labels I'll put on myself. I don't have many. Uh, so the first one I'll say is I'm a skeptic. That lets people know up front I will question stuff. <laughs> it's fair warning. Uh, but the second one I use is humanist. And I have been asked a number of times uh, by people why I don't consider myself feminist if I believe in the values that I have. And I tell them that the reason is, and, and I've had feminists on my show, a uh, few people that I know, they use the term, but I will respectfully disagree in the sense that I think it adds confusion to a, a very clear topic, which is that if you're not working for all human rights, you are working against human rights. You really are. Yeah. Because even your victories, whatever your victories are, you say, I helped that little girl. And it's like, well, and her brother just got taught a lesson that she's more important than he is. Uh, you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're not really fighting for human rights if you're only talking about half the population. Well so, said. Yes. In terms of the words, I had a conversation just the other day. I'll run this past you and you can tell me what you think. Um, uh, feminism. So I use the word racism as an example. If you think about the word racism, it doesn't mean white people hate black people or no. even black people hate white people. No. Racism uh, connotates by the, 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 the way the word is made that you see the world through the lens of race. And the implication is we know where that goes, bad places. And so this is why on the left, this type of PC racism they have against old white men or whatever is also destructive. It is a type of racism. Um, as opposed well, to certainly polarizes people. Yeah. And so I would say the way, the way the word feminism is constructed denotes the same inevitable negativity. 
in that it sees the world through the eyes of what is best for women or what what do I think women want. And this is a lopsided view, and it's going to cause problems. This is my perspective on the word. It is. It is. And um, no, I don't think every feminist is a feminazi or whatever, but retreating to the dictionary and saying, you know, the dictionary clearly says this is about equality, so what's your beef? It's like, well, I'll tell you what. I know. Call me a Godwinizing if you want. Go look up uh, the dictionary definition of Nazi, and you will see nothing there about censorship, terrorism, or mass murder. <laughs> all right? That's probably <laughs> true, yeah. And, and oh, all right, fine, get mad at me. I said the C word, communism. Go look up communism. You won't see anything there about mass repression, totalitarianism, repression of free speech, or mass murder either. So, obviously, if you believe in equality, you are a communist. No. <laughs> and if you believe in equality, then you are a feminist. No. Uh, no. And actually, uh, from uh, the Oxford, uh, Dean, the Oxford Dictionary, this is what I counter with when they go to the dictionary thing about equality. I said that is not, and I am right about this, is not what it says. It says it is the advocate, uh, the advocation of women's rights based on the premise or the grounds of equality. Yeah, just because someone, that's like lawyer talk. Oh, now I'm going to have to go to the OED and steal that, or I'll just ask you to paste it for me because I'm going to use that. Because <laughs> that's a good point. Go ahead, finish it. Uh, well, just, it's, it's like lawyer talk. Just because someone says they're doing something on the grounds of whatever doesn't mean that what they're saying is correct. It just means that that's why they're saying, that's their reason for saying what they're saying. That's right. And it's like saying, I'm going to create, and I'm stealing this from Sage Gerard, my friend, but it's like saying, I'm going to create a movement. And I'm going to call it healthism. And healthism is all about healthy eating and a healthy lifestyle. And one of the things we do here is kill and eat babies in healthism. And uh, we enjoy killing and eating babies in healthism because we think that it's a healthy thing to do and it improves your lifestyle. And somebody says, wait a minute, you, you, you eat babies? You need to stop eating babies. And their response is, what, you're against good health? <laughs> All right, that's extreme. I'm not accusing feminists of you know, <laughs> eating babies. I'm just saying you don't get to just say, well, the word means this, so I am a priority, a priori, axiomatically correct, because this is the feminist issue position, therefore it's about equality. And it's like, you know, I'll, I'll go back to the Calgary Expo this weekend. It's like, yeah, there's this group called, oh, what are they calling themselves? Trying to promote, uh, protect equality at, at, at conventions. Yeah. And they are helping. They they were among the people who uh, on equality equality con. I can't remember. Um, but they're one of the groups who helped get a group of women thrown out of a comic book convention. A group of comic geek women mostly, uh, including a female creator who does her own. You know, has been publishing her writing and drawing her own graphic novel for some time now. It threw her out. And why'd you wow. throw her out? Because, she, yeah, you threw her out and her whole group. A comics creator, a woman comics creator. And you did it because she had ideas you didn't want. And what were the hateful ideas? Except that she's a critical feminist. What Man. were the hateful ideas she believes or advocates? See, I didn't have Adam Baldwin there. Ah, <sighs> no kidding. He's become, he's become from a, a, a celebrity I knew in a number of shows to like my favorite celebrity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes he says stuff that's stupid, which is always a danger. But you know what? I say stupid stuff, too. And I know he's real proud of the uh, uh, of Republican right winger. And that's fine. I'm yeah, not. I'm not you know, either. Once in a while, he says stuff that makes me go, eh, eh, I cringe a little. But for the most part, no, he gets it. 
I like Adam because he's like, yeah. all right, he he is a partisan, but he's real honest about his partisanship. Yep. Totally honest about it, which is all you can ask for. And Yeah, you're right. I, I, I do not agree with a lot of the stuff that he says, but what I do like about it is that by getting on the Gamergate issue specifically, he went up against people like Joss Whedon, who he knows from working on Firefly and what have you, uh, and a number of other people, which I'm sure were like, hey, shut up, knock it off. And he was just like, well, gonna keep talking. Yeah, no, I mean, no, no, don't shut up, Adam. Anybody else don't <laughs> shut up either. Although you got to worry because, you know, we see, yes, I'm sorry, feminism is an empire. It is a network of people that have power and money who will try and crush and dissent any dissent. That is just what they do. And some of them are reporters. Some of them are in the government. Some of them are on university campuses. And they're not honest about where they're really coming from. Um, I hate to say that because people say I'm not honest about where I'm coming from. The only difference is I do my best to give transparency and to say, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm never going to call for some YouTuber to be taken down because I don't like what she or he has to say. I just, I don't rule that way. I don't, I don't get behind efforts to say, well, get this, this columnist to, this magazine should fire this reporter. Yeah. Well, the only reason to fire reporters is if they lie. Yep. Now, if you find out that they lied, maybe they shouldn't. But anyway, these, these are, are people who are our critics typically don't fly that way. There's like, well, we're axiomatically the right in the right. So anything we do to destroy the other people is okay because the other people are evil, and that's, that's yeah. just what we're up against. The the it's a it's a it's a type of faith. It's um... <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid that it is. Yeah. I'm afraid that it is, and I I am a man of faith, and I have some real respect for faith, but. Uh, faith well, untainted, uh, faint. Uh, I'm trying to think of a pithy way to say it, but faith uncolored by grounded skepticism is really. Stupid. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say, uh, I don't get the sense that you, um, you're, are you a person who has faith, but you're willing to break with the, uh, you don't have a party line that you, you, you tow with that, right? I guess what I'm getting at is, if you study my, if you study hard on any of the big religions, yeah, the big ones, let's say the Abrahamic ones, the Buddhists, etc. The really deep thinkers in those in those religions generally aren't popular because they're deep thinkers and deep thinkers aren't popular. Um, but like, it's real hard. Like most Christians who really know their shit, which means they're not fundamentalist loons, will say it's kind of axiomatically impossible for science to, you know, um, destroy our faith. Um, if science shows something that runs counter to our faith. Plausibly, the science is wrong, but just as plausibly, we got it wrong. Yeah. You know, and, and our understanding of our scriptures or our understanding of our theology uh, needs to change. And that's all that has to happen um, yeah. for sensible religious leaders. But challenges, a challenge is the way you grow. If you don't have challenges, you don't embrace them. That's uh, right. How do you grow? That's right. Even the Catholic Church is almost certainly going to have to change its view on abortion, just for example, at some point. Um, not just because their view is unpopular, but as the science gets better, it's like, well, what you're saying isn't going to make a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, you know, it's been pointed out why organized religion, a theory, anyways, that I think sounds really good as to why organized religion holds a view like that, is that it's easier to have people breed a new generation of followers that are raised in the faith rather than going out and converting people of a different faith. Well, now you're going into questioning their motives, which is always <laughs> nice, but you, you could be right, and there may well be something to that. But I mean, another one is, no, listen, we have a principle of life is sacred, and we're not moving from it, even if it makes us well, yeah, makes I think, us unpopular. I, I and, think, I think uh, let me just clarify, I'm not saying the average Catholic thinks that. 
I was just yeah. talking about the function of an organization. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not questioning the the authenticity or the honesty of the of the average Catholic. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, what I'm just saying, even even within the church, there are going to be people who are like that. No, we're not moving because yeah. Uh, this is the, you know, we took a principled stand. This is our principle until this, you know, you can show me why this principle is an error. We're not doing it. I suspect that one day they will see that there's a problem with their principle. Like, I'm pretty sure in the next decade or two, we're going to discover ways that if a woman is miscarrying, we can either completely stop it or pull it out of there and put it into a, a an artificial womb. No, this isn't going to happen in six months, but it's probably <laughs> going to happen in our lifetime. And then when something like that happens, everybody's going to have to reevaluate what their stance is on abortion, right? Including yeah. the religious. Because it's going to be like, wait a minute. So every single clump of cells in a uterus is a full on human being with rights. So no matter what we have in this artificial womb that we just pulled out of a woman who is miscarrying, it needs to live no matter what kind of monster it is. <laughs> and, and, and at the same time, anybody else is going to be like, well, your body, your choice. Okay, but couldn't you just pull that out and not carry it to term and have it still live? But anyway, I've gotten off the point. My point is, is that <laughs> even religions have to change to adjust to reality. And going back to you should have people around you that, that disagree with you about stuff. Yep. Uh, I, I have noted that in the atheist and even because uh, a lot of crossover in the main skeptic communities, there seem to yep. be people who are surprised that there are conservatives and, for instance, atheists who believe that abortion is wrong. And I know like, more than one. Yeah. We're not, we're not here to talk about abortion, but no, no. yeah. But just using that as like a, a general statement about how this works, uh, I have told people that I would rather have people around me that disagree and diversity in the movement because that, to me, indicates strength. You're taking a yep. larger cross-section and there's, there's going to be dialogue about these different ideas. As an atheist, you would probably appreciate some of what uh, Jonathan Haidt has had to say. Um, there's a real good video out there. He's known for something he calls the rationality delusion. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, he is an atheist and he is a skeptic, although he's a psychologist. And um, through years of studying it, this is something even atheists like uh, Richard Dawkins don't like, but most especially these hardcore, rattletrap, closed-minded social justice atheists. What Jonathan Haidt will tell you is that if you really study the human mind, um, historically, there's people who believe that our, our, our higher consciousness, you know, the part of us that's self-aware, what we now call the forebrain, yep. is in control of everything. And um, over time, you know, the evidence can't support that. Deal. The higher brain functions in your conscious mind are not in charge. Um, and, and then the next view came, which is that, well, they're kind of co-equal, um, you know, and one can be the servant of the other. And hate's view, and this is a growing view of a number of others, is like, no, not even that. The conscious mind is subordinate to oh, yeah. the rest of the brain. And 90% of the time, you do whatever you're going to do, or you think whatever you're going to think, and then your conscious mind retroactively comes up with a justification for it. Yeah. And you you can sit there and think, I'm not like that. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, sir or madam, yes, you, you are. are. <laughs> if he didn't take the money, why is he wearing those fancy clothes? <sighs> That's what he wore to church. Oh, how convenient. <laughs> and Absolutely. your only hope, your only hope to find your way to rationality is to stop and get some reflection and say, okay, did I really do that for the reasons I just said? 
And 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 the first day you say, no, I just kind of did that on instinct, <laughs> will be the day you go, oh. Uh, he had a real good test example that he used. I'll send you the link. But uh, he interviewed a number of college students and open-minded, non-religious, religious. It didn't matter. He would tell them. He would ask them a number of questions, and then he said, "Now I'm going to tell you a story." Um, I don't remember the whatever. John and Mary are brother and sister, and they're about two years apart, in less than two years apart. And uh, when they were after they were both 21 years old. In their mid-twenties, they decided, as brother and sister, they would like to explore having sex with each other. <laughs> um, they both used protection. Um, no diseases resulted. No children resulted. This was at least five or more years ago. They haven't done it since, but when they mention it, they always say it was the same thing. They enjoyed it, and it drew them closer together as brother and sister. Do you think there's anything wrong with what they did? <laughs> and Without fail, virtually everybody, including the most hard-nosed atheist, said, no, that's just wrong. And they could not give a reason as to why it was wrong. Yeah. I have my own thoughts uh, that went beyond that. But I remember when that was first presented to me, that was a real stumbling block of, yeah, why am I drawing this uh, emotional reaction? And am I rationalizing it or is it a rational position I'm taking? Because there's a difference. (laughs) There really is. There's a big difference. And I know that what I do in, in men's advocacy is basically challenging, well, the, the correct word, it's, it's a little loaded, but it's still the correct word, is challenging prejudice. Yeah. People think the world wakes a certain way, works a certain way, and I'm frequently there telling them, no, what you think isn't true. This causes cognitive dissonance, and cognitive dissonance, uh, some people stop and rethink, some people just lash out in anger. And I find that lashing out in anger is more common. That's too bad, but it's it's well it's okay. So when you're talking about the brain, because that's really what this is, is that I'm often amazed how many people don't think of us as animals. We're like some kind of magical creature with no relationship to other animals, <laughs> right? <laughs> Not to get into uh, into it too depthly, but uh, have you ever heard of Michael Shermer? Are you familiar with him? Uh, yes, if I'm remembering right, he's the Australian male feminist. Uh, or is this somebody else? I think he's American, uh, but he he started Skeptic Magazine. He's like one of the founders of what we think of oh, as Oh, Michael far- Shermer. Yeah. All right. Isn't he involved in a, in a lawsuit? Oh, you're thinking of Michael Sherlock, I think. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, tell me about Michael. Uh, Michael Shermer, yes. Uh, so he has a, a course that he has, an audio course called Skepticism 101. And one of the things he points out in there, I think this is where I heard it, is he talks about a, a research study that actually shows that the smarter and more educated people are, the more they get grounded in their beliefs and their points of view, and the harder it is to actually sway them. And it's funny because we often think it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. Yes, I used to think that way myself. <laughs> I used to think I'm just smarter and better than most people. Yeah. And not, you know, it's taken some humility. I can even say my IQ is higher than the average. Um, but that doesn't make me axiomatically correct about jack shit. <laughs> And 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 a a retarded child may tell me something I need to hear. Yes, Uh, and may well be completely (laughs) correct. It's got nothing to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, a lot of times when you're talking about this, you are fighting prejudice. Now, some of it's hateful prejudice, but a lot of it is just, even to some extent, skepticism itself. Like I've got a whole set of beliefs I have that I've carried around for 20 years. You're telling me they're all wrong. Well, (laughs) uh, who are you? 
And, yeah. and with educated people, often it's difficult because they'll hide behind the fact that they're educated and they feel that they le have learned more about relevant information. But just because the other person's not as educated, like I went to university and I've learned plenty from people who never passed high school. Uh -huh. uh, it, uh -huh. you... And I've met idiots with college degrees. I've met many idiots in <laughs> college classes. And I, I'm sorry it's rude, but I met just flat-out fucking idiots who did not know what they were talking about and then would speak ex cathedra as if what they were saying was correct, and I knew they weren't. And I had to just sit there and take it because that's arguing with your teacher can be very perilous, especially in today's environment. I mean, and, I know and, I'm, I'm dominating the character. But i got to tell you this story. Not long ago, I had a guy on Twitter. Now, of course, it's Twitter and it's all snarky. But I had a guy on Twitter start, start snarking at me and give me a hard time not really taking anything I had to say seriously. And at some point he asked me, oh, where you, you know, what kind of education do you have? I have a master's degree. And I'm like, I actually have a college diploma, but I said, high school diploma and, and, re, and, and sources, what have you got? You know, um, because he didn't have any sources. He just wanted to get under me. And he thought, and yeah. I've met a few other people like this too, I have a degree. I therefore know what I'm talking about. It's like, wow. Argument really? from authority. Argument from authority. Total argument from authority. And it's like, it actually hurts me. I know this is going out off topic. It hurts me because um, I had a very chaotic and abusive childhood. I don't wear that on my sleeve. I don't, you know, you have to be nice to me because I was abused. The point is I had a very chaotic and insane child. Worse than the average by far. And... Uh, one of the only things that kept me from completely losing my shit is as a kid, right around the age of, as, as early as like third grade, I said, well, I don't, it's very hard to determine what the truth is. And when I don't know what the truth is, I need to find it out. And that's what got me interested in science, whether it was astronomy, physics, biology, um, even to an extent math, statistics, like I can find out the truth and nobody you know, no person who doesn't like what I have to say can say I'm wrong because I have proof. And yeah. so that value of proof means a lot to me. And and it's actually, in my particular case, I know I'm just talking about myself, but what the fuck, in my particular case, actually <laughs> having people say things that I know are not true, that I can prove are not true, almost causes me physical pain yeah. uh, just because it makes me so uncomfortable. You're saying something I know I can prove to you is a highly questionable. Sometimes it's made me not very popular, so I just yeah. shut up. But <laughs> well, I know at, at parties I have to watch what I say sometimes now. Yeah, you really do, especially because a lot of people will be like, "Well, he's only saying that because he wants to be a shit stirrer." I'm like, "Okay." Well, one of the things <laughs> that's one of the things that's been used actually is because uh, I'm not really a top secret guy. I'll keep details, like specific details, to myself. But a lot of my friends and family know what I've been going through, mm -hmm. um, and so. What's happened in the past is when I say, for instance, someone was going to do a charity walk in high heels, uh, you know, about a year ago, someone I knew, a friend of mine, to help raise money for a local uh, women's shelter. And uh, when I when I said I'd have nothing to do with it, but I explained, I said, I'm not angry at you. I'm just telling you that, yes, it's good to help women in need. But what you need to understand is I can't be associated with the ideologues who run these places and the harmful messages that they put out. And he understood, but somebody else got on. It was a social uh, social um, media yeah. well social media we were doing this on and she got on there and she was really angry at me and <laughs> I, I was not being rude or anything i was just being direct with him so he would know and the thing that was said to me first of all was you know that i was being anti-woman and stuff like that then it was that she had 
you know, been abused when she, by some guy or whatever. And, and I was like, well, you know, that's terrible, but that's not what I'm talking about. And uh, then finally it was, the only reason you're saying this is because the stuff you're going through, you know, with your family situation. It's like, you know, that's, that's a low blow in an argument. <laughs> uh, actually, it is. And it's, it's astounding how people will get away with it. Um, and uh, we're talking about what I feel to be, and I don't know why it makes people uncomfortable. We're frequently talking when it comes to domestic abuse, when it comes to sexual assault, when it comes to the family court system. We are frequently talking here about what should rightly and justly in a sane universe be called human rights issues. Yeah. Absolutely. They really are. We're seeing absolute violation of fundamental rights um, on these things by these organizations and by governments. And um, the, the the casual dismissal that, well, you're only saying that because it affected you. Think of the titanic hatefulness of that statement. Yeah. Even if it's 100% true, which yeah. I don't think it is, but let's pretend it's 100% true. This is like looking at a black guy who just got severely beaten by the cops for the crime of driving while black and look at him and saying, well, you're only saying that because they beat you up. Yeah. Like, and? Yeah. <laughs> and? Yeah. Or saying, the only reason that you keep talking about how bad the Nazis were was because you survived a concentration camp. <laughs> yes. Well, and that, then of course, I, I think that always... gives me that gives me grounds to be upset. Thank you. I, I it does. <laughs> And then, and then the little scroll that chain will run, and they'll say, "Now he's saying he's got it as bad as a Jew in a concentration camp." <laughs> no, kids, that is not what he just said. We're no. looking at the flaw in your logic. Yes. If everything that he was saying, forgive me, I'm not a regular listener to the show. If 100 percent of everything he's saying is driven entirely <laughs> by his own experiences and nothing else, what's your point? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Even if he had nothing else going for him, this is true for a lot of the guys. Well, just just you know, the format of the show is about challenging uh, sort of social norms or things that we have assumed to be true. Uh, right. Apostasy is not specifically religious; it's just against uh, against any what we system. Think we know. Yeah, any system that's ideological. And in fact, I sometimes start referring to the show as the anti-ideology show because that's really the theme. I like that, and I've had people argue with me over the ideology word, and they'll say it's impossible not to have an ideology. Everybody's got an ideology, and it's like, okay, going back to the dictionary, <laughs> you're right. Any worldview can be called an ideology, but no. When something is ideological, that means they've got a preset set of theories about how the works, world works, yep. and all evidence must be made to fit that theory. That's right. That's and, what ideology uh, will do to you, and it's dangerous. I'm, I'm hoping eventually to have a professor that I've read a little bit about online. I'm going to see if I can get him on the show. And he outlines the dynamics of ideology very well. And it's, again, a case where people sometimes will try and retreat to not even just the dictionary of ideology, but the original meaning of the word <laughs> or, or the true meaning of the word. Uh, and even if, let's say, let's say we all do have an ideology. The point isn't to be perfect. The point is to challenge those preconceptions. So even if everyone has one, some of us are challenging or trying to challenge our, right. our way of seeing things. And pro human progress only comes from challenging ideas. Yeah. Now, even an idea that has turned out that nobody can rationally challenge it, you know, uh, I don't. the earth goes around the sun. You really can't challenge that without <laughs> playing some fancy games. But even then, the worst thing you could possibly do is declare it is not acceptable to question whether or not the sun goes around the earth. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. You may question that. <laughs> and maybe the rest of us will laugh at you, but uh, 
you know, go for it. Maybe you'll make the amazing scientific discovery that says really the sun goes around the earth. Don't think so, but good luck with that. Right? Yeah, they still haven't they still haven't proven to me the sun isn't a flat, shiny coin. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's actually a chariot. Ah, that's right. Horses. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Apollo the moon. Part of that. The moon is the shiny coin. I was getting that mixed up. <laughs> no. Anyway, I don't know how I got this far afield, but um, yeah, well, it's I've difficult. Had, Challenge I've had, people's prejudices. I've had you for almost an hour and a half, so I should probably wrap up. But before I do, um, first of all, I want to say thanks for helping me, uh, you know, connect with Erin uh, Pitsy. I'm going to put a link to her episode at the bottom of this one in case anyone wants to go back and listen to it after they listen to this one. Um, but also, thank you for taking time to give me some support along the way, uh, at least a couple of times. Uh, you, oh. didn't have, you didn't have to do that, and I really appreciate it. Well, you know, I, as a men's rights guy, there, it's, it's hard. You know, I really do care about rights for everybody. I just feel like I specialize in men's issues. But there's not a lot of us doing that. We as a movement don't have... We don't have a tenth of resources. We don't have one percent of the resources that the feminist movement does. I'm sorry, but we don't. I do what I do in my spare time, and because I I love it, and even when it's hard, I know I'm helping people. And so, yeah, one of my goals, although sometimes I have to shut people off, is if a guy approaches me, I will try and give him at least some basic encouragement and some basic uses he can do. I can't, you know, be anybody's personal counselor. Right. Yeah. You never try. You never tried to do that. The smart guys don't try to do that, but they'll listen, and they're frequently stunned because I'll start telling them stuff, and they'll be like, "That's happened to me. That happened to me." I'm like, "I know it did. Shut up. Let me keep talking." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Erin did that to me when she came on the show too. I would start talking about something, and she'd finish it, and it was it was like magic. Yeah. Of course, since then I've I've listened to, uh, especially with um, Paul Elam when he uh, has what, uh, going uh, going mental, mental, and then they turned it to say. Yeah, and then, then say goodbye to, to crazy. I think is what they they renamed it. Yep. Um. Actually, when I was just cleaning out my room, I got caught up on a few hours of that, and it's amazing. It's amazing stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, a, and, and because it's not rocket science either. It's just like there's been this. I know we got to go, but I'm gonna say it's almost like there's been this cultural, and yes, there are groups who it benefits. There's been this cultural unwillingness to look at what is obvious. Yeah. Um. You know, women can be just as abusive and crazy as men can be. That should be an obvious assertion. But that assertion requires uh, you to acknowledge that if that's true, it has consequences. Yeah. And there are some batshit, crazy, horrible, abusive women out there. And we train guys not to think that way. Maybe biology, too. But yeah. And you got to stop. If, if feminism is the notion that uh, women are human beings, well, then it's time that you own up to the fact that women can be real assholes. They can be. Yeah. Just like guys can be real assholes. Yeah. And it's all and this shit. I, I don't think anyone that I'm aware of has said that there shouldn't be services to protect women or to support women. It's just, why are there, or is there nothing for men? And in fact, uh, somebody posted a link to the government of Australia's uh, helplines, and they're almost the same at the beginning, but where they change for men and women, each line, is where the women says it's for support and counseling for women who have been the victims. For men, it goes, this is for you to call and get support. In case you think you're going to be a victimizer and abuse women, yeah, that, I will. It's insane. It is insane, and there, I've known a number of guys who've been through that. He's got sent to anger management classes for the crime of being beat up by their wife. Um, I can't. I will say it's changing, um, but I'm afraid to say too much that it's changing because it's not changing anywhere near fast enough. And I've been 
at this for many years, and I've seen periods where it looked like what I would call a false dawn. What would I call a false dawn? Oh, it's changing. People are acknowledging the problem, and then yeah. they look away, and they assume it's getting better, and that it doesn't require any more attention. And it's not getting better anywhere near fast enough, and we can't stop looking. But yes, there are some services available for men now in Canada, um, but they're rare, and they're really hard to find. And so that's it's the same in the United States. Um, I know in the United States, Save Services actually has a list of shelters that are inclusive of men in a real way. And to be honest, it's a short list. But if you go to saveservices.org and look for their list, it's there. So at least those shelters should be encouraged. But anyway, I guess that's all I have. Um, so thanks for being on the show. Um, I'm hoping to have a couple of people with these different points of view than the feminists would uh, like us all to think we should <laughs> walk. Walk in lockstep, march in lockstep. Mm -hmm. uh, so I appreciate your time. And um, uh, if you want, I'll, I'll try and find some links on my own for your stuff. Um, shoot me a list of your links that you want, and I'll put it on with the uh, episode. Um, and I also want to give you an opportunity now at the end to just talk about where people can find you or the things that are going on you want them to look into. Um, okay, well, uh, as we know, I'm the uh, managing editor of VoiceForMen.com. You've probably heard all kinds of horrible, nasty, awful things about how awful <laughs> and evil we are. Um, I will plead, uh, I will say that as an organization, we are guilty of uh, sometimes having published uh, intentionally provocative and inflammatory things, but um, it, those tend to get picked out by our critics. Um, but the more important thing is, is that I think that if you just look at the front page of a Voice for Men, I don't know, every day for a week, you'll find a remarkable lack of stuff like that. Yeah. And even the stuff that they will cherry pick out and say that was really extreme. I think there's one called Bash a Violent Bitch Month from several years ago that keeps <laughs> getting beaten up. You got to read that thing. It clearly says it's satire. It clearly says it's sarcasm. It clearly says it's coming from a place of frustration. And we said, I don't know how many times that was years ago. And they still bring it up as if that's a literal thing that we, we advocated. That's, that's dishonest or ignorant. Well, it is actually. I'm, I got to be honest, but I'm, the average person can't just be expected. Oh, they are a bunch of hateful, evil men who want to beat up women. No, we're not. Yes, ton of women who work with us. Um, we're talking about real human rights issues, and we're doing it on a shoestring budget. And um, yet, we're growing, and more and more people are looking at us. And if you bought the narrative that it's because we're hateful, evil, violent, terroristy people, think again. Read the front page of a Voice for Men. Really look at it. And come to us and tell us what you would disagree with. Don't tell us what you don't like about our style. Don't come to us and tell us what you don't like about how we said it. Tell us where we're wrong and what specifically we're wrong about. You'll be shocked. You might find that we agree with you after all. Yeah. Or you agree with us after all. So there you go. That's all I'll say. All right. So that's uh, A Voice for Men. A Voice um, for Men .com, yeah. And the videos that you guys put up uh, are in a number of places, but if, if because we were talking about it, if they want to find the one that we're talking about, about Calgary, they can find that on uh, Paul Elam's uh, YouTube channel, right? Well, we just had an episode of Tales from the Infrared regarding Calgary Comic Con. So if you go there now, you'll see that episode, Tales from the Infrared, there. Um, we've got stories on it on the front page right now. I'll send you a link or two that you could put in. Okay. Um, just so you can go, oh, I'll find them there. And most of our content is on Paul Elam's channel. Yeah. Most of our YouTube content is on Paul Elam's channel. But I'll, I'll give you a link. And there you go. Perfect. That little machine of yours has quite an effect. Had quite an effect. Not anymore, I'm afraid. You know, for a man who abhors violence, I must say I took great satisfaction in doing that. Right, let's get on. 
We may be out of the cell, but we're a long way from being free. 